It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. William Shakespeare once said, Sweet mercy is nobility's true badge. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, talk to us anytime at ChristianQuestions.com or our social media channels, and download some after-episode extras, such as our thorough Seeker Rewind show notes and our bonus Bible study questions available on our individual web uh, episode pages. And look for new videos for all ages every week at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. So, Jonathan, what's on the table for today? Well, Rick, our question is, how merciful am I? And our theme text is found in Matthew chapter 18, verse 33. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? Okay, how merciful am I? You know, as Christians, we often talk about the necessity of forgiveness. We need to be forgiven and we need to forgive others. When it comes to talking about mercy, we always seem to focus on God's mercy, and rightly so. God's mercy is a resounding theme throughout the entire Bible. His eternal wisdom and plan could not even exist unless his mercy was, is, and will be in place. So if mercy is such an important part of God's plan, and Jesus came and mercifully gave his life for Adam's sin and redeemed the world, well, what about me? How does mercy fit into my life? Am I a merciful Christian? So coming up in today's podcast, mercy and forgiveness are different but they need each other. So how does that work? Segment one opens the door for this understanding. Jesus' parable about the unmerciful servant is a really, really harsh story. Could this story be about Jesus' followers, or is it about the sinful world? Well, stay with us for segment two and find out. God's mercy in our lives is obvious, and we all know it. We all see it. We all feel it. What happens when, in our daily lives, we don't extend mercy to others? Let me give you a hint. It's not pretty. (laughs) You find out why in segment three. And then finally, this unmerciful servant story that Jesus told has a very unhappy ending. Is it teaching us about how God harshly punishes those who don't follow him? We uncover that answer in segments four and five. Rick, what does mercy really mean? And how do I know how and when to use it? Glad you asked, because that's what we're here for. That's exactly the focus of today's podcast, How Merciful Am I? And Jonathan, this is one of those mirror programs where we want all all of us to be looking in the mirror as we talk about these things. So let's start by just giving a general definition of mercy. Let's use Webster's online dictionary to get us that, uh, that start. Well, it means forbearance shown especially to an offender or to one subject to one's power and compassionate treatment of those in distress. Okay, so forbearance, compassionate treatment. What we're going to find is mercy and compassion are very, very closely related. So there are actually in the New Testament two primary and closely related words for mercy. That's throughout the, the entire New Testament. 
the following scripture is going to be from Luke 18, 35 and 38, is a very typical use of these words for mercy. As Jesus was approaching Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging, and he called out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And that word mercy means to compassionate by word or deed, specifically by divine grace. And Rick, continuing in the King James Version in Matthew 9, 13, in Jesus' own words, but ye, and, but ye, go ye and learn what that meaneth, and will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And the word mercy that Jesus used means compassion. Okay, so we got this idea of compassion. So the question is, well, if it's compassion, then how come the word compassion wasn't used if mercy means compassion? And I think what we're going to find is mercy is a very focused kind of compassion that has to do with a very specific part of our lives. And we're going to see that unfold as we watch Jesus talk about it uh, and, and we develop this. So mercy is embracing a lack a misstep, or a wrong, in the sense of being able to work with it and to work through it. Mercy is about granting an undeserving soul a freeing opportunity. All right, let me say that again. Mercy is about granting an undeserving soul a freeing opportunity. Say, well, what are you talking about? (laughs) Give us a little time, and let's develop this a little further. Jonathan, what is the difference between mercy and forgiveness? Because these are very closely related and they really need each other. They they are, Rick. And the word forgive means to send forth or away. Okay. It's simple. Okay. Now, there's several words for forgiveness in, in, in in the New Testament, but this word specifically is used most often and it means to send forth away. So as we as we look at this word forgive, this word is very broadly used. It covers godly and human forgiveness. It's this word that most clearly reflects our forgiveness of one another. And that ends up being really important, as we will see as we develop the story of the unmerciful uh, steward um, and, and the consequences he faced. So again, this is word is the one that most clearly reflects our forgiveness of one another. So, Jonathan, these next verses in Matthew 18, and we're actually going to be looking at verses 21 to 35, but we're only going to take 21 and 22 to begin. These verses precede the parable of the unmerciful steward, steward uh, servant, <laughs> which we will feature throughout this episode. So this is important. This is the context. I love it. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I did not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. We quote these verses all the time. And every, uh, I think every Christian knows these verses. We rarely quote the story that's going to follow them. And today we want to do that because there's a profound connection between the two. But here in these verses, Jonathan, like you said, they're the context of this story. So, and it's talking about forgiveness, and that word you said was to send forth or away. So forgiveness for us, for human beings, is releasing the personal consequences of a wrong done to us. So Jonathan, if I've done wrong to you, and you forgive me, you are saying, 
what, 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 what are you saying to me? I'm letting it go. You're letting it go. Now, it doesn't mean I won't suffer consequences elsewhere. No, no, it doesn't. But you are letting it go. Yes. You're not letting it get into the, in, in the way of our relationship. No, that's right. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. See, it's not saying consequences are released entirely, but saying, like you said, I will no longer have the wrong adversely affect me. So, Jonathan, by forgiving me, you're saying you and I are okay, and this thing happened before, but it does not affect what's happening now. That's right. I'm releasing a wrong done to me. That's it. Okay. So um, it, so it, what it does is it restores your ability to relate to me. That's right. That's right. And Rick, it is very freeing where resentment doesn't take hold and resentment burns a hole in mercy. Oh, man. Resentment burns a hole in everything. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and really, that is, I think, one of the big profound lessons that Jesus is teaching here. It starts out with this very simple, Lord, Peter is asking, how often shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And, you know, Peter's thinking, I mean, should I forgive him seven times? That's more than on one hand. I mean, it's a lot of times. <laughs> no, but see, this is the way we think as human beings. And Jesus' answer is, no, try 70 times seven. And here's a hint. If you're counting, you got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Rick, I know primarily we're focusing in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, one of the primary words for mercy means kindness. And I think that's a beautiful description uh, of what mercy really means. And, and I think that that's going to unfold as we go further. Kindness is that giving of something good where there's not necessarily a, diver, uh, a deserving on the other end. And that's really what mercy has to do with. So we want to, throughout this podcast, magnify mercy. How do we do that with what we know so far? To have mercy on someone is to open a door of unearned opportunity. Mercy is to open a door of unearned opportunity. That's a profound beginning, and we want to take that, grab hold of it, and say, okay, how can we develop this further? So we know what mercy is and how it partners with forgiveness. Now let's dive into Jesus' parable. This is going to be a harsh parable. Who does the unmerciful servant represent in this story? Our YouTube channel has a lot going on. Go to ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Featuring new releases every week. Check out our playlists like CQ Kids, Moments That Matter, and CQ Bible 101. Plus, we have even more new series content planned to roll out soon. So stay tuned at ChristianQuestions.com slash You know, it's always important to remember that Jesus used real-life circumstances, traditions, and examples to make the lessons of his parables more familiar. From our present perspective, the ancient world and its practices were extremely harsh. But to those who lived then, it was all about everyday life. And, and Jonathan, this is important because it's about context. If you lived in the context of what this parable said to you, it was like, okay, well, no, that's just the way life works. It made sense. Right. For us, it's like, they did what? <laughs> so we They said what? <laughs> yeah. And so we have to understand that as we go through this particular parable. So let's get into the parable. Jesus had just given the 70 times 7 answer to Peter, and then he starts with a story. Matthew 18, 23. 
For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And Rick, the word slaves, uh, for more clarity, means bond servants. Okay, so bond servants, because we, when we think of slave, we have the wrong picture in our minds, and that's, that's for a different podcast. And so um, he is wishing to settle his accounts for this reason. For what reason? For the reason of forgiveness. So Jesus is attaching 70 times 7 forgiveness to this story. For this reason, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like. So Jesus is setting up Peter and the apostles to not only learn about forgiveness, as he just mentioned, but to understand mercy as well. Perhaps Jesus is saying that to be able to forgive 70 times 7, one must have and live by an attitude of mercy. We have to connect the two. Why? Because Jesus connected the two. Some commentary, Jonathan, to get this parable and its context started from Albert Barnes as to this bondservant you were talking about. Would take account of his servants. To take account means to reckon, to settle up the affairs. Servants here means probably petty princes or, more likely, collectors of the revenue of taxes. Among the ancient kings, often farmed out or sold for a certain sum the taxes of a particular province. Thus, when Judea was subject to Egypt or Rome, the kings frequently sold to the high priest the taxes to be raised from Judea on condition of a much smaller sum being paid to them. This secured to them a certain sum, but it gave occasion to much oppression in the collection of taxes. It is probably that some such persons are intended by the word servants. So what we're looking at in those days are those who were um, given the authority to collect taxes in a specific region, and they got paid based on the taxes they collected. And what that did is opened up a lot of opportunities for, for dishonesty and so forth. But that's the kind of servant we're looking at, somebody in a position of great responsibility who's given the ability to handle large sums of money on behalf of someone else. Okay, so the question, who do these bond servants represent? Okay, we know what they did in the story, but who do they represent? Well, Rick, the key to the answer is, what is the meaning of the phrase, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to? So if we get that phrase, because Jesus says, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to, if you know what the kingdom of heaven is talking about, you know who he's talking about in the story. So let's take a few minutes. Let's get into that scenario. Jesus pointed to the kingdom of heaven as being with them, with his followers, with his disciples during his earthly ministry. Because a lot of times when we think of the kingdom of heaven, we think of something up in heaven or something future. But Jesus was saying it was actually with them in Mark 1, 14 to 15. Now after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. And Rick, I think Jesus is really saying, I'm Messiah. I came to fulfill the promise to Abraham. All the families of the earth will be blessed. That's great news. And he's saying to them, I'm bringing the kingdom to you. So when he says the kingdom of God has come near, and again, the phrase the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God actually are interchangeable. 
Uh, we can understand that by looking at the different parables uh, by different authors, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when you, you compare them. We were not going to get into that now. So, but th- the first point, Jonathan, like you said, is, is this is incredibly good news because the kingdom is here with you because my name is Jesus and I'm the, the time Messiah. time has come. Right. <laughs> so the kingdom is described by Jesus as being present, but it's also described as a present experience of those who are begotten by God's Spirit. And this is important. Romans 14, 17 really helps to expand our understanding of what the kingdom of heaven is. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the Apostle Paul is talking to the called-out followers of Christ, and he's talking to them, and he's saying, look, the kingdom of God, your experience right here, right now, is not about physical things, but it's about righteousness and peace and joy in God's spirit. You know, those are the things you have to develop now. You are part of God's kingdom now. So it gives you a sense of right here, right now, and it's, and it's you. Now, the above scriptures are describing God's own called out people. The, the, the Mark scripture, because he was talking to his disciples, and, and the Roman scripture. 1 Peter 2.9 expands that a little bit. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Okay, so that's giving us a description of what the called out ones are look, look like. They're the chosen race, the royal priesthood, the holy nation, God's own people. Jonathan, the called out ones are the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God phrase describes the context in which the true church, the true followers of Jesus, are all developed. Okay, so the answer to the question, uh, you know, who would, uh, um, who would these bond servants represent, Jonathan? How are we seeing that at this point? Well, uh, Jesus is answering his true followers as they're his most highly trusted associates. So we're putting that together and saying they're the ones that are being represented by this unmerciful servant. We haven't seen him be unmerciful yet, but just wait. The shoe is going to drop. There's no way to stop it. (laughs) Okay, and that's kind of like, really? Do we have to go there? And the answer is yes, because Jesus is showing us that's what this actually means. So... We've got that introductory statement that you just you read for us a couple minutes ago. The kingdom of heaven may compare to a king who's settling his accounts with his bond servants, these highly trusted associates that do the work of this king. The drama now unfolds with a ridiculously oversized problem. Matthew 18, we're going to go just to the next verse, verse 24. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. So, Rick, 10,000 talents in today's worth is huge. It's millions and millions. And millions? <laughs> and millions. Yeah, I'm not sure how many. I've heard estimates as low as two or three and as high as 20. So probably somewhere in the middle is correct. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you cut it, that's a lot of money. Yeah, huge okay. debt. Yes. So Jesus is telling a story about highly trusted associates, and one of them owed the the master millions, literally millions. So this guy is in bad shape, okay? Let, let's understand he is not in a great place. You know, if the master is coming to, to settle the accounts, you imagine he might be sweating a little bit. 
you know, <laughs> waiting, <lot> of <laughs> waiting for his turn. Okay. So, but here's the thing that's important, Jonathan. This parable is not, we don't see this parable as a final judgment of those who follow Jesus, but part of the accountability along the way of your life of following Jesus. I think Jesus is using this story to teach us why we should be merciful and forgiving. And this is important to understand. It's, it's an along-the-way judgment. Matthew 5, 7, just in terms of putting mercy back into the picture in the front. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Okay. The same, same basic word. The merciful, they shall receive mercy. And, and Jesus tells that. That's one of the Beatitudes. And he's speaking directly to his disciples. He's got other people listening in the background. But he's talking to them and saying, you're blessed, you're happy if you're merciful. And again, I don't think we think about that so much. It's one of those words we don't think a lot about. We think about forgiveness, we think about love, God's grace. Mercy is one of those missing links. Yeah, but boy, oh boy, it's so important. Blessed, happy are you if you are merciful because you receive mercy. So way back when Jesus was speaking the Beatitudes, he was actually giving a hint about this story, okay? So let's keep that in mind as we we go forward. So we've introduced the story. We've introduced a ridiculously big problem of being millions and millions of dollars in debt, and now that debt is coming forward. So as we bring this segment to an end, how do we look at this in terms of magnifying, understanding, and developing mercy? To be chosen by God and faithful to Jesus requires a merciful character that needs to be put into practice right here and right now. So what you're saying is we have to be merciful. You, you said it before, we have to be kind. And being kind sounds so darn simple. <laughs> you know, I mean, think about it. When, when, when you're talking to your kids and trying to help them in terms of their own character development, do we say, be merciful, be merciful? No, we don't. We say... Let's be kind. Be kind yes. to one another. It's a basic, basic action. Kindness is not a thought. It's not an emotion. It's an action. It's a basic action. And if we want to be chosen by God and faithful to Jesus, we have to have that kindness, that mercy in every part of our lives. So this is a lot bigger than we might think. Now, we have hardly begun to tell the story yet. Well, that's coming up right now because we've got the problem and it's a big one so we need to move ourselves forward it's obvious that this parable is about to get really good and then really bad are we ready for its lessons mercy is critical to christian maturity how do we wrap our minds around what it really looks like it's been a privilege and exciting interacting with our listeners all over the world. Reach out to us anytime at ChristianQuestions.com. In addition to always continuing the conversation on our website, in social media, and our YouTube channel. Learn more about becoming a Christian Questions Ambassador. There are several impactful ways you can help us continue to spread the gospel message. Go to ChristianQuestions.com and click on Support CQ in the top navigation menu. Join our incredible team of volunteers and find out more. Now back to Rick and Jonathan. Understanding mercy requires examples bigger than ourselves. While the Old Testament overflows with scriptures that describe God's mercy in his people, 
this parable make this parable makes mercy personal. It powerfully shows people reacting and responding to one another with and without mercy. And Jonathan, there's no better way to understand something than to see something that 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 uses it and something that that doesn't. And that's right. And that's what Jesus is doing here. And again, this is the example, the teaching that Jesus puts in place when he says, you should forgive your brother 70 times seven. And when he says that, he, his next words are going into this parable for this reason. For the reason that you should forgive your brother so many times, here's a story for you. So we have seen the story begin with the master and his highly trusted servant who was most likely a collector of taxes, handling large sums of money, had a debt of several million dollars to pay, and now the drama is going to get serious. Matthew eighteen twenty-five to 27. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children, and all that he had, and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him his debt. And Rick, uh, that word debt actually um, more accurately means a loan. Okay, so you have a pretty dramatic thing here because you've got millions and millions of dollars on the line and the master is, is upset. He says, okay, send him to prison until he pays because this is not right. And this servant's reaction is he humbles himself entirely, completely before the master and says, please, have patience, I'll repay. I will. I will repay. I will do everything I need to do. I, am, I, I messed up. I'm, you, you know, John, you, you, Jonathan, you've heard, you've heard the phrase caught red-handed. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, here, here you are, okay? But he's saying, I'll repay everything. But it says, now the Lord of that slave felt compassion and not only said, okay, you can get up, but he forgave him. He sent the debt away from him. And I think there's a powerful, powerful message of incredible, incredible forgiveness here. Well, Rick, does this debt in this parable picture us in Adamic sin, unable to pay our debt to have life again? Or is it a picture for us as Christians being called to follow Christ and knowing we're not worthy? You know, I think as Christians, we'd like this parable to be about just the average person who's kind of like not doing the job that, that, that God would want to do and, and having to face the hard judgment. That's not what this is about. This is about you and I. And Christians. This, yeah, yeah. This is, about, this is about us from the standpoint that along the way, we do things that maybe not, may not be right. As a matter of fact, let me rephrase that. We do things that are wrong. Okay. okay. Let's, yes, let's we just do. <laughs> say it the way it is. Okay. We all make mistakes. We all embark on bad pathways and bad judgments, and we have accountability along the way. And I think this is what Jesus is talking to us Christians about: is that personal accountability. And I like the context where Peter says, "If my brother sin against me, right, 
doesn't that show that Christian connection? Yes, yes. It's a within Christian community. So no, we can't we can't push this parable about oh those nasty people over there. We have to push this parable about what about that guy that looks back at me in the mirror? That's what we're talking about here. So Jesus is showing the utter magnitude of God's mercy here. I mean, with this incredible forgiveness, we're reminded of that mercy, that incredible mercy in many, many scriptures. First Peter 1.3 from the Weymouth translation. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his great mercy has begotten us anew to an ever-living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, you know, who in his great mercy has begotten us anew to this ever-living hope. The call to follow Christ is mercy, forgiveness, and grace in action. And it's in action in that order. Well, why, why in that order? What do you mean? Well, because mercy, remember, mercy is the, the giving of an unearned opportunity. So God's plan had mercy. Adam sinned. God's plan had mercy, an unearned opportunity to, to make that better. Jesus' sacrifice. Did, the, did, did, did sinful man deserve Jesus' sacrifice? No. No, they didn't. His sacrifice was merciful. It was an unearned opportunity. From that unearned opportunity can come forgiveness. And for Christians, that's what happens. We have this unearned opportunity, and we're given the forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. Once we have that opportunity and that forgiveness, then we can be given grace, which is unmerited favor. So I think that mercy, then forgiveness, and then grace is how the Christian life works. Don't underestimate the mercy part. We always seem to forget about it. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. Jonathan, this is a great scripture. I mean, not that other scriptures aren't great. But this one, <laughs> this is a great scripture to make, make the point. Hebrews four fifteen and 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So, Rick, what is the difference between mercy and grace? Well, in this scripture says so that we, we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Receive it and then find grace. So when we pray to receive mercy, we pray it, it, mercy is an unearned opportunity. So we're given the unearned opportunity so we can find grace, which is unmerited favor. You can't have the favor without first having the opportunity. Just doesn't work. That's the difference, okay? Mercy comes first, the opportunity, and then favor comes next, and that's grace. So, so far, from this segment, we've seen this, this incredible mercy from God. You know, that's what the, this is picturing to those of us who are followers of Jesus. How do we magnify mercy in, in this setting? There's no better way to grasp the power of mercy than to pause and reflect upon how God, our Creator, has displayed it to us on a personal level. And you know what? There are certain things in a Christian walk that we should just never, ever forget. This is one of them. This is one of them. We have been given this incredible opportunity that, you know, you and I, no matter what we could possibly do in our lives, we never, ever, ever, ever could come within one-tenth of one millionth of one percent of earning it. 
That's right. And that's the beauty of this. We want to make sure we don't lose that in our thinking. So, you know, it's, a, it's on a personal level. Take that and use it as a tool for strength. Jesus, now, let's go back to the story. Jesus continues the drama of the story and bring, brings home mercy's place by showing the inconsistency of receiving mercy without passing it on to somebody else. And Jonathan, this is where we need to pay attention, because this man received incredible mercy. Let's go back to Matthew, the story, Matthew 18, 25 to 27. Uh, 28 to 30. Oh, I knew that. (laughs) Sure. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him into prison until he should pay back what was owed. And Rick, I uh, Googled 100 denarii to find out what's that value worth. And it seemed to come up with maybe four months of salary, maybe today's value, maybe $12,000 in comparison to the millions, millions and millions that um, (laughs) his Lord forgave him. (laughs) So here's the thing, you know. Uh, this is this is critical because this this slave is released. He's given this incredible mercy, forgiven this massive, massive uh, loan, and he has another servant that owes him so much less, so much less. And he not only puts him to the task; it says he seizes him, seizes him, and he begins to choke him. And he's oh, saying, you know, like throttling the guy, pay or else, pay or else, pay or else. You know, so he's received the highest level of mercy and kindness. But when he's got the opportunity, he's not showing any of it. Now, the, uh, his, his fellow servant, you know, says, look, does exactly the same thing. Please, have patience. I'll pay you back. I will. What does his servant do? He says, nope, 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 no chance for you. And he, and he has him thrown in prison. Completely the opposite of what he had just received. So why this drama? Jesus knew, and this is a big this is a big why. Why is it so dramatic, this story? Jesus knew that the spiritual examples his followers had were gl- grossly lacking in mercy. And Rick, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. That's all they had before Jesus came on the scene. So how merciful were they is the question. Yeah, it's not a good answer, but we'll go there, okay? The next scripture that we're going to talk about takes place after Jesus called Matthew the tax collector to follow him. Now remember, Matthew the tax collector, Pharisees were not fond of such people. So we're going to drop back different account, Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 13, after Jesus calls Matthew. Many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So, the Pharisees are taking Jesus to task for, for, for having compassion on and meeting with and encouraging those who are broken. And Jesus says, you know, here you need to learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. 
that is an Old Testament scripture. They would have known. Where does it come from? Uh, Hosea 6, verse 6. For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. And you get a sense of I desire kindness, not ritual, but kindness. I want godliness to emanate out from you and not you do the things that make it look like you're godly. It was about the inside showing itself outside rather than the outside covering what was inside. So Jesus is calling them out by by quoting to them their own scriptures. Well, this is why he was taking the time to teach his his disciples what it really means, because they hadn't had good examples around them. Right, right. And that's such an important thing. If someone doesn't have good examples, you have to take extra time to show them what a good example is. And Jesus is building a foundation. Mercy is attached to forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't work without mercy. That's the connection Jesus is making with this story. So, Wrapping up this segment, magnifying mercy, how do we do that? Mercy lives in the danger zone of our fallen humanity. It can be easy to receive, but it can be easily forgotten when we need to pass it on. It's so easy to be given something wonderful and to, and to be, be excited and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. You really, I, I'll never forget this. I'll never forget this. But how easy is it for us to, when we have the opportunity to be the giver to just not do it because we're self-centered, because we'd rather do something else, because we'd rather think something else. We have to be careful. And as Christians, we need to understand mercy lives in the danger zone of fallen humanity. It needs to come out and we need to be focused on it so it can come out. So it's easy to look at the unmerciful guy in the story with disgust. What do we see when we look in the mirror Jesus' parables always have deep and sometimes jarring meanings. What are the lessons here? Personal Bible study is so rewarding. So many of our listeners have asked if we could provide an online Bible study course. We're happy to announce a new library of thoughtful questions based on each episode's CQ Rewind show notes. Each study is a compact, single page of thought-provoking questions with scripture references and more. These are perfect for your individual study or small groups. Go to ChristianQuestions.com, then click on Bible Study in the main menu to get started. What's next in our audio study, Rick? A serious, as serious followers of Jesus, it's sobering to think that he's talking to us in this story. It's easy for us to think that we're above such dramatic character flaws because we have Christ in our lives, but this parable compels us to look deeper. Remember, it's about learning, mercy, and forgiveness. You can't separate the two. And Jonathan, I will be honest with you, before doing this particular subject, and this was a listener-generated subject, you know, how, why don't you do a, a, a podcast on mercy? And I'm looking through the archives thinking, how come we've never done this? And so this is the parable that comes to mind. And, and, and you know, to make this connection, to me, is a, is a profound opening of, of deeper Christian living. Remember, it's mercy and forgiveness. They have to work together. So it's about 70 times 7. How do you do that? You do it through kindness. You do it through mercy. So back to the story. Now the drama moves into the conclusion stage. And folks, the conclusion of this story is not happy. It's not like, oh, and they lived happily ever after. No, 
Not in this story they don't. Matthew 18, verses 31 to 33. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I gave you all that debt. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? That's such a simple conclusion. Should you not have given what you received? I forgave you an incredible debt, and this is what you do? See, there's something powerful. This is the very core of this lesson. Jesus is telling us that forgiveness is not complete without mercy. Forgiveness is not complete without mercy. And it's very similar to the golden rule. Uh, and we did, we did an entire episode on that, episode number 878, about the, the golden rule. And Go ahead, Jonathan, Matthew seven 12. I'm sorry. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. Okay. In everything, treat people, treat others the way you want them to treat you. That's what we are to learn here. And uh, it's, a, it's an important, it's a simple lesson, but it's one of the most important things. And, 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 and folks, just to, to give you a little context here, my, my grandson Dominic is sitting in the room here, he's listening in, and he handed me a note, okay? And he was quoting, uh, gave me a quote from Mother Teresa who said, kindness is an infinite echo, you need to pass that echo on. And kindness and mercy are, are the thing we're talking about, and we need to pass it on. Think about the mercy we've received as followers of Jesus and think about what we therefore owe others because we received it. That's what this is. Good quote, Dominic. Thank you. Nice. God's mercy, Jonathan, to us must be always remembered when we're in the heat of any moment. God, James? Okay, wait, wait. I want to say that again. Okay. okay? I, okay. That was a pause for, for, for effect, if you will. <laughs> God's mercy to us must be always remembered when we are in the heat of any moment. Whatever it is, bring yourself back to what you've received. James 5.11. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion. And that means, Rick, extremely compassionate and is merciful. Here is another word for mercy, and it means compassionate. And in the Greek-English lexicon, that same word means merciful. So again, it's just another word, but it's got that same sense. And again, the mercy that we're talking about in relation to compassion is a focused compassion on opening a door of opportunity where it may not be warranted, may not be needed, may not be um, earned. That's what I'm trying to say. It may not be world earned. God is full of kindness and willingness to give opportunity to the undeserving. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And, and Jonathan, you know, before we go to the next scripture, think about that. God is full of kindness and willingness to give opportunity to the undeserving. You know, Jonathan and Rick fit right into that category, don't they? We're at the top of the list <laughs> of undeserving, yes. <laughs> so it's such an important thing. Romans 12.1. This is a powerful scripture. We always talk about this scripture in terms of dedication. This is a powerful mercy scripture. 
Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And in this scripture, the word mercies comes from a word that means pity. Okay, and again, pity has that same sense, that focused compassion on opening a, an opportunity to the undeserving. So in Romans 12, he's saying, I urge you, brethren, by the pity of God, by the his opening this door, this door of undeserved opportunity for you to do something about that opportunity. Jump to that opportunity. Embrace that opportunity. Our spiritual opportunity is based on God's mercy. Should we not be merciful to others? And let's not forget, God's mercy comes and its name is Jesus. You know, the, the sacrifice of Jesus makes it all possible. So when we talk about God's mercy, we are automatically talking about the sacrifice of Jesus because that's how God's plan works. Spiritual opportunity based on God's mercy, we had better be merciful to others. So we're continually told to be like God. Now, you know, if you stop there, it's like, well, forget that. I mean, who can, who can do that? Nobody. <laughs> but the principle of being like God in matters of mercy is such an important principle. Philippians 2, verses 1 to 2. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And Rick, I, I uh, found a wonderful scripture on mercy in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. But to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Do we love mercy? It was tucked in between be just and be humble. Do we love mercy? You know, and that's such a, you know, that, that's a sila moment. That's a pause and consider moment. I think too often we look at mercy as, okay, I'll give them a chance. But that's not what, what Jesus is talking about here, and that's not what that scripture in Micah is talking about. It's the idea of magnanimously looking forward to giving that chance. And it's opening a door of opportunity that wouldn't have been opened. So in order to be able to do that, truly do that, you have to love it. You have to love what, what you're doing. Let's go to another great, great text, Micah 6, 8. Very, very common, commonly quoted scripture. But again, do we stop and consider love mercy? Colossians 3, 12 and 13. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And Rick, the word for forgive in this verse means a forgiving or favor. And it's broadly used in the sense of having a big heart, not taking away sin. Okay, so the word forgive in this verse is about having a big heart. But the word compassion in this verse, put on a heart of compassion, is the same word for mercy in Romans 12.1, by the mercies of God. So it's, it's interesting to put on a heart of pity, that sense of just giving because your heart is, 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 
is provoking you to have this great, great, overwhelming sense of, of, of godliness. Because, Jonathan, if this doesn't describe God, I don't know what does. So compassion and mercy, you know, we're using them kind of interchangeably. And this kind of forgiveness so works so well together. Give others opportunity. And based on what you said, I want to add to that. Love to give others opportunity. So wrapping this segment up, magnifying mercy, how do we do that at this point? To neglect mercy towards others is to neglect the very basis of our Christianity. Our being ambassadors for Christ fundamentally depends on having a merciful character. Okay, being an ambassador for Christ fundamentally depends on having a merciful character. When something is fundamental, it means... you. You can't move forward without it. You know, Vince Lombardi famously would, when he would start a football season with his professional football players, he would walk out onto the practice field holding up the football and say, gentlemen, this is a football. And he would start with the fundamentals. Mercy is fundamental to being a representative, an ambassador of Christ. Don't forget the fundamentals, because that's how you find success. It's obvious that mercy plays a critical role in our lives. We definitely have some serious self-examination to do. This lesson has shown itself to be important, but there's more to it. What does the conclusion reveal? Are you just getting started in your Bible studying? Or are you a weekly listener looking for more after the podcast? Go to ChristianQuestions.com, then click on the Bible Study tab to see our concise companion Bible study questions. Jesus was never one to mince words. When Peter asked him about how many times to forgive his brother, Jesus saw this as a question of heart. Telling Peter 70 times 7 was only the beginning. Jesus knew that the hearts of his followers needed much more than a tally. They needed to understand mercy. And so he tells this dramatic, dramatic, powerful story about an individual being given incredible mercy and turning around and giving nothing but harshness to the next person. So the the lesson of mercy is being pounded home by Jesus here. And this incredibly important lesson was taught by Jesus in many, many different ways. In this particular parable, it adds the serious consequences, and Jonathan, here's the hard stuff. This parable adds the serious consequences of violating the sacred charge that we have been given to be like God in our mercy toward others. So these next verses, Jonathan, are not for the faint of heart. Okay, back, no, to, not. back to the story, Matthew 18, 34, and 35. And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from the heart. That- and Rick, forgive your brother from the heart. Mercy is conditional. So what you're saying is mercy has to be, is not that, that knee-jerk reaction. No. It has to be decided upon. We have to choose mercy. We yeah. have to choose it. And okay. if we don't, we won't be worthy of life. 
You know, that's a that's a pretty strong statement. That's a and Jesus is making a strong statement here. You know, it, it talks about handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. So look, let's let's understand this very clearly as we go through this uh, this explanation. First and foremost, this parable is not saying that God tortures people. That's not what it's saying. It's a parable that uses the actual events of Jesus' day to illustrate a lesson. And we're gonna... Well, thank you, Rick, for that point, because it would contradict mercy if it was actual. Yeah, yeah it's right. <laughs> it's right. It, it really, really, really would. And, and just, just, just very quickly, parables are stories of real life that ex- explain something else. Remember the parable of the dragnet? Yes. You know, and drawing in all the fish and separating the fish and the good from the bad and all that. Mm-hmm. Understand those fish are, are representative of the followers of Jesus. They're dead fish that are going to be eaten. I mean, should we take that literally? No, of course not. <laughs> okay. When it says handed him over to the tormentors or the torturers, Barnes, Albert Barnes has a good comment on that. Delivered him to the tormentors. The word tormentors here probably means keepers of the prison. Torments were inflicted on criminals, not on debtors. And, you know, you've got to understand history to put these things in perspective. Further, when you go back in the parable around verse 30, remember the unjust servant sent his other servant to, the, to prison until he should pay. So the idea was you, you, you incarcerate them and they're going to have to figure out a way because now they're in prison. So it wasn't about torture. It was about a consequence for not paying what you owed. That's what it was. So let's not make it more than that. It's a story. It's not about money, even though the big idea here is millions of dollars. Okay. It's nothing about money. We don't take that part literally. We can't take this idea of torment literally. No, no, no. It just simply does not fit. You're right. It would contradict the whole point of what Jesus is saying. So what we have, this is a fitting judgment as the unmerciful servant did the same to a fellow servant, except, remember the unmerciful servant was choking his fellow servant in the, in the meantime? Mm-hmm. The master here wasn't doing that. He just said, I'm turning you over to the authorities. That's what this means. You're, you're, I'm turning you over to the consequences that you deserve. And Rick, uh, this study on mercy totally disproves the false doctrine of eternal torment. Mm-hmm. Uh, in episode 1021, part one, is the hell of Christian tradition taught in the Bible? You should really check that out. Also, episode 1024 is the part two, and episode 1027 is part three. We thoroughly cover all of God's word to prove God is a God of love. Yeah, and, and that's important. And that's why you have those, those podcasts subject for another day. So, you know, we're, we're seeing the consequence of not being what God has showed us we should be. Perhaps we can liken, the, liken this to a principle that we learn elsewhere in the New Testament. When there was an immoral, an immoral brother in Christ among the Corinthian church, among the Corinthian brotherhood, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, Young's Literal Translation. To deliver up such a one to the adversary for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of Jesus. And Rick, this is talking about the uh, immoral person uh, having immorality, uh, sexual relations with someone other than a spouse. And that was wrong. Absolutely wrong. Was wrong then, is wrong now. No difference between the wrong, just because we're in a different time. 
Okay, let's understand that very clearly. Turning him over to Satan was essentially saying, let him be left on his own, as he's violated God's basic moral principles. Mercy doesn't come in, or I'm sorry, mercy does come into play here, because this action proved to be effective. It actually worked, but the Corinthian church didn't recognize their role in accepting him back. They were supposed to have a role of mercy, and they didn't recognize that. We know that in 2 Corinthians, when Paul writes the next letter to them, chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. But if any had caused sorrow, he has caused sorrow not to me, but in some degree, in order not to say too much to all of you. Sufficient for such a one is the punishment which was afflicted by the majority, so that on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him, Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So, Rick, in this case, they withdrew fellowship from this immoral person. He then came to a proper understanding of what is not acceptable to God, and he stopped his sinning. So Paul then is encouraging fellowship once more to this one that has repented of his sin. You know, and that does remind us of the forgiveness aspect of this whole thing, doesn't it? Because the forgiveness is putting the, the, the sin away from you, not allowing whatever that sin was to get in between you any longer. And Paul was encouraging the brotherhood to do that because this individual was repentant, truly repentant. He had changed his behavior. And that's a wonderful thing, Jonathan. Just because we make mistakes doesn't mean it's the end. That's right. You know, a lot of times we make a mistake and it ends up being a beginning for us because it reveals the, the, the mess in our own character, and it gives us something to work with, to grow towards. So this is an important lesson in mercy, holding out opportunity when, when it is appropriate to do so. You know, everybody knows the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer taught us this mercy and forgiveness lesson in a very fundamental way. It's interesting that mercy and forgiveness are attached so many times in Scripture, we always overlook the mercy and we just go to the forgiveness. Got to have the mercy involved. That's why Jesus said 70 times 7, and he teaches this really hard story to show us mercy. To the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, verses 11 to 15. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Rick, I like the translation in the New English Bible. That reads, forgive us the wrong that we have done, just as we have forgiven those who have wronged us. So it's interesting that in so many other places, Jesus mentioned this principle of you do what you're supposed to do, and God will treat you accordingly. And Jesus in this story is showing us pretty much that same thing, but, but what the, he's showing it in a, in a backwards way, same exact lesson. He's showing God being merciful first, and then the individual not following through and being merciful. So really, when Jesus is talking about that in, in, in the Lord's Prayer, when he talked about it in the Beatitudes, it's all based on God being merciful first. Mm-hmm. that sets the table for us to be giving mercy to others. And like you said from uh, Micah 6.8, to love giving, love being merciful. We should love mercy. There's a powerful, God loves mercy. Jesus 
loves mercy? Does Rick love mercy? That's the question. You know, we ask for forgiveness with forgiveness in mind, with the forgiveness in mind that we give to others. This is mercy personified. Okay, James chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So, you know, when you start talking about and thinking about mercy, suddenly it jumps out all over the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) If we give it its time, its due, its, its, its honored position in a life of Christian growth and maturity. In James, it's saying mercy triumphs over judgment. Does that mean we shouldn't have judgment? No. It means that our mercy should be in place first. Why? Because God's mercy was in place for me first. Let me be godly in my dealing with others. So magnifying mercy, Jonathan, one last time. To be merciful is to be godly. To be merciful is to walk in Jesus' footsteps. To be merciful is to be faithful. Mercy makes forgiveness work. And Rick, uh, one last scripture, Proverbs 3, verse 3 in the King James Version. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. You know, when you tie something around your neck and you carry it with you, where does it kind of hang out? It hangs right by your heart. It does. It hangs right over your heart. Mercy and truth. Bind them about thy neck. Write them on the table of your heart. Why? Because God is mercy. We'd have nothing if it weren't for that merciful. Now, look, God is love, and we know that. Mercy is one of the pieces of God's love. And we just today wanted to just focus on this one piece that comes at the beginning that says, give others an opportunity, even when it's, it's not deserved, that unearned opportunity. Just open it up and do it, not because you have to, not because, well, you know, okay, God's watching me, and I know he's going to want me to do this, so I probably should, so I look good. Hi, Pharisee, how are you? Because <laughs> that's really trouble. Yeah, it's the wrong kind of an attitude. Love, mercy, give opportunity freely, lovingly. And you know why do you do that? Again, seventy times seven, forgiving your brother because it's your brother, because you want to to encourage and lift up and build up and support and bond with your brother. That's why. Mercy is such an incredible, incredible, soft-spoken lesson in Scripture until we focus on it. You know, Jonathan, one, one final Scripture here, because mercy shows up in a lot of places, and a lot of times it shows up at the very beginning of an epistle. And there's no, it, it, there's no, uh, no, no mystery for that. Just one example, 2 John chapter 1, verse 3. Oh, okay, 2 John 1, 3, I'm sorry. Grace, mercy, and peace be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. So you have that final, that that greeting. What does it say? Grace, mercy, and peace be with us. Grace, mercy, and peace. Have 
mercy be at the beginning of all of your works. It's the beginning of so many of the epistles that are written in the New Testament. Jesus tells us how important it is for our daily lives to make sure we show mercy to others. Mercy should be at the beginning, in the middle, and at the end. Why? Because God's mercy gave me the chance. What am I doing with that chance? How am I showing godliness by giving others the same kind of chance? That simple greeting means a whole lot more now, doesn't it? Folks, mercy is critical to our Christian lives. Make sure we work on it. Think about it. Listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions uh, on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, Jonathan, we're going to be talking about what's on everybody's mind right now. And what's on everybody's mind is COVID-19, the coronavirus. The question for next week, does the coronavirus fit into God's plan? It's changing the way the world works. There's plenty to say. We'll talk to you next week.